Hey everybody! Episode 2, coming at you, of the Luke Bruchet saga. Luke Bruchet, have we settled on Luke Bruchet saga? Sounds good to me. Sounds good to you, alright. 2020 Vision, the Luke Bruchet saga. Oh, it is 2020 now. 2020 yeah. Vision, oh, is that a pun? We're going with a pun in the title? Sure, why not? Alright, cool, and puns are all the rage these days. We gotta keep it fresh, we gotta keep it fun, gotta keep people on their toes. Keep it fresh, keep it fun, alright, I like it. That's the goal for 2020, keeping things fresh and fun, and fast. And fast, definitely need to keep things fast. Alright, Luke, how was your holidays? It was great, uh, you know, it's always a great time uh, just to see the family, and, and uh, now that we are getting older, we don't get to see the family as much, so... Uh, my parents live in White Rock, which is not too far from Vancouver, so got out there and spent uh, four or five days with them, saw my uh, younger brother, had some fun stuff, drank some eggnog. Uh... Any rum in the eggnog? No, unfortunately. Actually, I didn't have any eggnog. It was just Bailey's and coffee for me. I like Bailey's and coffee. It's really good. Have you ever been to Victoria and had a shaft? No. There's a drink in Victoria, and I didn't know it existed until the last time in Victoria, because I went to, I was, I was feeling a little worse for wear, so I had a little hair of the dog so i went and got a coffee when i was asked for baileys and like oh you should have a shaft so in victoria bc the drink it's called a shaft it's it's espresso baileys and i think vodka on ice wow i think that's what i think that's what it is but it's so good it's such a good drink and you just crush them and you crush a shaft so yeah next time you're good. next time you're in victoria have a shaft i have had espresso flavored vodka before and i have to say I think vodka has to be the worst thing to shoot in the world, but espresso flavored vodka—it's not a not a bad option. I'm a big fan of um, I'm a big fan of Caesars. Do you like Caesars? Not really. No. Well, in America, they have Bloody Marys, and Bloody Marys suck, and Caesars are far superior. So, anyone down in the states, um, you should try Caesar because they're really good. Even though Luke doesn't like them, but Luke's uh Luke's a serious athlete, so. Maybe maybe don't take I'm, his advice on alcohol. Yes, saving the saving the uh, the dabbling in the alcoholic beverages until after twenty twenty as as a celebration. Speaking of food and stuff like that, there's my cat being an ass, running around, making noise in the background. Live studio audience. Um, what is he doing? He's a maniac. Anyways, Luke. Speaking of. I guess food-ish in general. What's your diet like these days? Let's, uh, let's talk about the diet of a high-performing endurance runner. Do you see a nutritionist? Do you follow a certain diet? How do you go about it? Because I know diet's all the, fa- all the crazy these days. Everyone's always asking about diet. Everyone's always asking about what you eat. Uh, what's, yeah, just like some insight from what, what goes on day to day. Yeah, I think, I think the one thing uh, as an endurance athlete, we, we run so much. So we, I think we're almost lucky in a sense because we need so many calories that we can, you know, eat, often eat just what we want. Um, I think I was very fortunate growing up that uh, my family always ate quite healthy. So I think I just have this, you know, what's normal to me is, you know, lots of vegetables, uh, not eating out a lot. And I think, uh, you know, it's, for me, it's yeah, it's, it's it's the same as when I was younger. I think um, in Canada, we're extremely fortunate to have uh, somebody like Trent Stellingworth. He's the national team physiologist and nutritionist, and he often, uh, you know, he's 
one of the world leaders in, in that kind of science and uh, when we're getting our blood work and all that sort of stuff tested he's always coming back with uh, ideas and pointers of, of uh, you know how to kind of increase the diet how to make sure you think more than anything it's it's just keeping keeping the calories up yeah um, I know this time last year uh, there's like a combination of things my testosterone was a little low and he just said you know bump the calories up a few hundred and yeah and uh, you know that's, that that sh- that should help and I think it did um, but I think we're also very lucky living in Vancouver uh, we just have such so much access to like good high quality food fruits and vegetables all year round I think other parts of the country might not be uh, yeah you know have that sort of stuff so I think yeah just eating eating a well-balanced lots of different colors lots of different stuff and then you know mixing it up I'm not too particular with anything so your diet doesn't have a name it's not like a keto or a, or a vegan no, or I think you're not you're not on a name diet you're just on a don't be an idiot eat exactly right? I think that's the the one thing that uh, you know Trent has always told us is just eat a well-balanced meal um you know, there's this, the science is always changing with food. I feel like there's keto diet. There's all this, you know, kind of stuff that's, uh, you know, unfounded. Like they just haven't had the time to really produce a research on it. And I think people trying to make money off what people eat, right? Yeah. And, and I think a lot of pseduoscience behind it. You get one big athlete doing the keto diet or something and everybody wants to do it. But I think if you, if you, if you looked at what I'm eating and, you know, probably what you're eating and, and most of the elite runners in Canada are eating and, you know all the Africans, or I'm sure it's it's uh, it's all fairly similar. So maybe our you know what we're eating for our carbs or grains or whatever might look a little different, but I'm sure it's yeah, it's just eat, similar. eat clean. Don't be an idiot. If you'd want to eat meat, eat meat. If you don't want to eat meat, don't eat meat. Whatever, it's your personal choice. Every, everyone's. Did you watch? Did you have you seen Game Changers? Everyone was loving this Game Changers movie, and everyone decided to go vegetarian and stuff, which is awesome. I mean, veganism, vegetarianism is amazing for the planet, and it's good for not killing animals, but did you watch that 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 movie i haven't watched it yet um i think the one thing now like we're continuing to move forward and understand that sort of stuff a bit more and i think you know if it was a few years ago you might not be like just be able to find the resources and you know how do you get all the protein in your diet from being vegan it's actually an interesting conversation we uh my brother is a like he hunts yeah Uh, over christmas we had deer meat so venison yeah, we were we were up there. We had some uh, well up there, down there in White Rock. We had uh, deer steaks for dinner one night, and I think it kind of like sparked a bit of a conversation and and about uh, you know being able to provide for yourself or is yeah, it okay? Is it not okay? Sustainability, sure, which yeah. I think that you know hunting is massive for sustainability. You're gonna you're getting something that it's gonna die naturally or by another predator at some point. But I think. Get the blood work done. Make sure yeah. iron levels are right. Exactly. Iron's a huge one. With, I mean, in terms of meat and stuff, right? Iron's massive because I've been low iron a couple times in my career, and that's like, it's so frustrating and so annoying because it's something you can control. Yeah. And a lot of it's like, well, I didn't eat properly, and because of that, it's not like an injury. It's it's like a just a you're neglected yourself, yeah. right? Yeah, and you weren't a responsible athlete. A deficiency because you haven't been as aware. But it like, I think the only staple in my day-to-day diet is coffee yeah i don't know if that's a running thing or just a normal person thing once you get past the age of like 20 you know i I didn't start drinking coffee until i was a runner 
and it was when I had to do early morning workouts. When I had to wake up and do an early morning marathon workout, like I would have coffee, A, to get a boost of wake up, here's some caffeine, and also it helped me poop. Yeah. And get the poop out of my oh, butt. Man. I, the first time, oh, I remember I was such a nerd in university, and I was like, I'm never going to drink coffee. Like, it's going to stunt my growth or whatever. Like, hey, buddy, you've already that's reached some, you. That's some really <laughs> shitty science. But anyways. <laughs> anyways, I remember, like, I started, you know, I think it was, you know, another runner. I was like, man, you got to try coffee before your workout. And I think the first time I ever drank coffee before a workout, I, like, made it midway through a rep and, like, beelined it for the washroom. <laughs> and I'm sure... It's probably one of those things, like, you're just not accustomed to it. Yeah. Maybe your body's not used to it, but, like, now it's one of those things, like, I can't imagine doing a workout without having a coffee, you know, half an hour before warm-up. Yeah. It's just... It's just what you do. It's part of routine, right? There you go. Do you have any favorite coffee shops in Vancouver? Uh, Yeah. I mean, we have a fair amount of of solid coffee What's your go-to? What's your go-to? What are your go-to beans? Ooh, my go-to beans. I do like the Stumptown beans, even though it's from Portland. Yeah. They serve yeah. them at uh, Platform 7. Yeah, yeah. That place is great. Uh, I like Elysian. They, we have one near the house. That's good. Uh, 49th Parallel is my favorite. 49th Parallel, yeah, it's close, too. And they got good donuts. They do. Yeah, speaking of diets, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, a, donut, I'm a donut fan myself. I got a wicked sweet tooth. Yeah. But any of you guys looking out there that haven't... Uh, haven't tried coffee before a run or a race. Maybe don't do it the first time before a race, but... Uh, Definitely not before a race. One of my athletes at Mile to Marathon, Jamie, our boy Jamie, I got him on coffee before runs, and he said it's not it's not life-changing, but it's run-changing. He says he just feels <laughs> way more amped up, feels good about it, you know, gets the juices flowing a little bit. Speaking of, speaking of not doing anything new before a race, I remember one time I was headed... We were at, when I was in Guelph at Speed River, we were heading down to a training camp in Alabama, and on the way, we stopped in Pennsylvania at Penn State to run a, to run a 3K, and uh, Taylor Milne had never done caffeine or anything before a race, but we had heard about it. So Milne, the race was at like noon, and Milne crushed four Red Bulls before, like before he woke yeah, up and just started drinking Red Bull, and he drank four Red Bulls in like two and a half hours, and... He had a shitty race. Like he didn't run well. That was my. That was the first and only time I ever ran sub eight minutes in the three k. I was pretty happy with that. But yeah, that was that was something yeah. I always remember. Is Milne just I crushing did. all those Red Bulls? For those of you that don't know, Taylor Milne, two time Olympian, Beijing in the fifteen hundred and Rio in the steeplechase. Yeah, yeah. But he still did that. Like when I was in <laughs> when I was in Rio in two thousand sixteen, Milne's got two monster energies and those things are thick those are big cans and he's doing like one pre-warm-up and then he's like sipping on one all the way until the race like this i drink you drink one of those just normally and you you're kind of buzzing <laughs> imagine drinking two of those before a race like you uh, milne's a perfect example of just doing what works for you and not doing what other people do right like just i lived with that guy for years he's one of my favorite people in the world and just like just observing his habits he just he got the work done he worked hard he did what he had to do but also he had things that worked for him like taylor mill's not gonna write a book 
on diet for runners. He should not write, write a book on diet for runners at all. That book would be... Our book review will say, do not read. Just run more. And maybe maybe he'd write a book on training, because that guy could train like an animal, but maybe not so much on his diet. But yeah, when I was, when I was there in Guelph, we had, we had Trent uh, always helping us too, and Trent was amazing, right? Even just to guide us. He would never change anything. He would more guide and add, like... Uh, like maybe try this rather than be like you have to change this and eat like this right it was more taking what you're doing and maybe helping you tweak it and make it more efficient yeah. for you yeah I think it's it's one of those things like there's uh, all this like we were talking like the science is always changing but this I'm sure you know the stuff that worked for the guys in the 80s is probably the same stuff we're doing now like you just you make yeah. sure you're getting enough in and and if you're expending more you add a little more in it's like it's like marathons and gels, right? What do you gel? What do you gel? It's all just sugar. That's why people just you drink flat coke because you need some sugar, right? It wasn't anything crazy. It was just like just yeah, just eat like a freaking don't eat like an idiot. That's that's it. That's my nutritional advice. Don't eat like an idiot. Okay, but before we move on from from diet, I want to ask. You you run a amazing race. You smash it. Do you have a celebratory food that you would? What would I what I go to? What would you go to after you smash a race? You're feeling good about yourself. You want to indulge a little bit. It, I I mean sometimes it can depend on geographically where I am. But if it was like a, a pizza, like, yeah. like a pizza or Mexican food, right? Oh, yeah. Like Mexican food or pizza, just a bunch of it because it's so good. Uh, it's easier to do that on the track. Because on the track, you feel good after a marathon, you think, but you just feel like shit, and you don't want to eat anything anyways. You don't want to lie down. But uh, do you do you have a do you have a go to if you're like you're like this is a celly Mexican food? That's a go to. Um, but there's something about like being in Europe, especially in Belgium, crushing a race over there. It's summer. You're like scrambling to get to the train. You gotta get frites and mayo and like <laughs> a what donaire shawarma, whatever they call yeah, it. Like, yeah, I feel yeah. like they're everywhere over there. And there's just like this, I don't know. It's probably part and part by the fact that nothing else is open. Yeah. You're scrambling to get to the train station, but that that definitely sticks out in my mind as like a good celebratory food. That just a nice, no, not a, like a waffle. More, I, yeah, because they do they do the frites and the mayo over there. Then yeah. they're so good, and they come in a cone. Yeah, they come in a cone. Those are some great racing experiences over there in Europe. Could you have a specific race that sticks out in your mind when you indulged in that experience? Uh, I'm trying to think of, there's like, in terms of experience, I think the first time I raced in Houston, yeah. Belgium, 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 uh, like just walking up to the track, the whole atmosphere, I mean, it's packed, you know, it's only, it's I guess it's only an hour or so from Brussels, but it's kind of like a, a really odd town to get to. Like it's it's very challenging. You to can't get really to. like you got to take a bunch of trains and a bus to get to the track, or you can drive there, which is a little bit easier. But this, you know, this really small venue, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. But then it's packed. Food trucks, live music, everybody's there. And then the races from you know two in the afternoon till ten at night are just absolutely blazing. They go off. They go. They go insane. Yeah, I ran, I ran a steeplechase there one year, and it was hilarious because the race director, uh, a little bit of a challenging guy to deal with, so his stipulation to let me and Alex Janae on the line, because we were both going, this is 2009, we were both going for the A standard in the steeplechase, and he said, you can be in the race, 
but only if you lead the first two kilometers at a standard pace, which was 824. And I was like, I had no problem doing that because like, I was planning on running that pace anyways, and I like to lead races. But Alex and I were supposed to switch off leading laps, and Alex lasted about a lap and a half, and he had a bad day, and he was out the back. <laughs> so then I just took the, I just, I just led the train all the way around, and like I did every single race that year, I made it to like two laps to go on pace, and then fell off and hit another B standard. I think I ran between 827 and 832 in the steeplechase like eight or nine times that season. Man. It was absurd. Yeah, we had a run-in with this meet director this year as well, Mark Christians or something like that. He, I think he does Rotterdam Marathon. He's challenging. He's a he's a tough guy to deal with. Um, but yeah, that was a it's a pretty unique meet, and uh, there's I feel like lots of crazy stories like over the years from Canadians dealing with him. <laughs> I remember like somebody can comment on this after, but Nate Brennan was going for the standard one year. And this guy's the meet director, and he's going, okay, these guys, this guy's pacing. You're running first behind the pacer. You're second behind the pacer. Like, everybody had their assigned spot behind the pacer until, like, 300 meters to go. Like, no changing, <laughs> or you never come coming back to this guy's meet. But he's got lots of weird stuff going on. But at the same time, he uh, puts together some pretty crazy races. People are still fighting to get on that line, right? Still fighting to get on that, that dang line. And... Schusen, Belgium. All right, Luke. Speaking of, I mean, obviously high performance races and everything like that. Let's talk a little bit more about what you got going on right now. All right. So you're heading off to Flagstaff yep. in in a couple days. Uh, you got CPT coming to town tonight. You guys are gonna hang out in, in Vancouver here for a few days, and then you're off to you're off to Flagstaff. So what is um how's the training been going? It's good. It's yeah. good. Um, I think. Just the 2019 was the year of injury, almost. Or not not, not the whole year, but I think... It's a shitty theme. Yeah, I just, you know, I... I've, like, if we go all the way back to 2018 uh, in March, I think I ran 1339 in March, which for, you know, first 5K of the year is a pretty solid start. I went to Flagstaff then, came down around 1327 um, in May, which for me, I think it was like 20 seconds faster than I'd ever run. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Since and then that's when we were playing around with the steeplechase, and I know we I think we talked about it in the last yeah we talked about where, we talked about steeplechase and not it's no but good. since then it just you know I had a really tough like nine months yeah and uh, but I feel like yeah lately I've gotten back up you know was able to string together uh, a few ninety mile weeks like get the volume the strength back in the legs uh, it's going well is that your sweet spot about ninety yeah ninety to a hundred I find it's. Uh, it kind of depends what your sessions are like. like yeah. I, I tend to run a little bit quicker on my off days. Like, I'm probably hovering around 6.15 per mile or, what's that, 3.50, 3.50? 3.55-ish. 3.55 per K. Um, I find that if you're starting to do, like, really high-quality stuff on the track, like lots of 3K, 5K stuff, it can mm -hmm. be a bit more challenging trying to maintain that sort of volume. But I find that, uh, you know, mostly you're, you know, building strength somewhere between 90 and... 95 is good for me and then usually we bump it down to somewhere in the low 80s when we start to really hammer the track uh, but it's been hard like you've you've been running lots in december i know that the weather has just been i think i'm probably a little uh a little bit of a wimp like coming from flagstaff in november like sun every day it's wet it's been wet yeah it's just been wet like there's something about like dark and wet 
like it could be 10 degrees or 8 degrees which is not super cold like you're still warm enough but try to step on the track or do anything really quality just feels like you never warm up you never warm up that's the problem the problem the problem with the rain and the cold rain is just you never warm up like i was out there today and it was awful like it was cold and rainy all day so it's obviously it presents challenges but i mean it's the time of year where you're just looking to get strong anyways exactly so i wanted to also ask you like yeah like so you know you have what's worked for you in the past to get to a certain level do you feel like there needs to be any changes that need to be implemented or is it more of a natural progression whereas you kind of do the same thing you just kind of you know change the paces and get things faster get consistency because i mean yeah like consistency is the main part you've gotten to run, run pretty quick and just nat- build off that naturally or do you see any kind of changes or tweaks that need to be made other than just staying healthy in general i think yeah i think there's two two pieces to that puzzle i think being healthy and just kind of getting back to where i was pre-injury which i feel like it's kind of where i am now i feel like that's a big big piece just being able to be consistent at that Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, like, I think back to when I first kind of had a breakthrough. I was able to run, like, I ran three thirty nine in the fifteen hundred. I ran sub four in the mile. Yeah. I had no problem running three forty or three forty one. So I think I need to get back to a point where uh, I have those sort of wheels. And maybe yeah, doesn't yeah, maybe yeah, doesn't yeah. mean I'm running personal best in the fifteen hundred. But I think I still need to, you know, have that fast twitch, being able to, you know, close race as well. But I also think that it makes a big difference in being able to maintain like the 5k pace or the 3k pace, you know, being able to run, uh, you know, what, I don't even, I can't even remember what training was like, like for that was like, mm-hmm. but running, you know, under 55 seconds for a repeat four hundreds or, you know, being comfortable doing that sort of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I think, I think that's something that I've addressed with my coach um, and that's, you know, one of the big reasons why, uh, you know, I've looked at doing this training camp with Charles was he's a quick guy. I mean, he's run 334. He has a bit more natural speed than I do. Um, so I think going down to Flagstaff, I was going to do a lot more sessions with him and just kind of throw the hooks in and, you know, I'm sure we'd be doing, doing a lot, uh, shorter stuff. And, you know, maybe doing your be, hundreds, doing your yeah, hundreds, yeah, yeah. But I think so. I think that shit works, man. I think to be a competitive five k, ten k guy, you kind of have to. Yep. You kind of have to be fast as well, like. Hundred percent. Remember those guys, like in Rio, like. I think. My race, I ran the guy. The guys that qualified for the final ran thirteen thirty something. But they probably close in four 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 oh five, right? Well, I mean, they it's, close it's, under four. Like we came through in nine thirty five and they run thirteen thirty five. <laughs> and I'm like I've run sub four in the mile once. Like these guys are doing it at the end of races. Well so that's think, the thing, you can close hard for you and like close in four oh eight and you're getting your doors blown off. Yeah, and that can be. Fr- I I ex- I've experienced that all the time on the track because I was by no means a fast guy. I never had a kick. I had to try to break people, and then I just my doors blown off in the end. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's one of those things. Like you, uh, you know, you were obviously a strength guy. You like to go to the front, and make people hurt. And I think that's oftentimes how I've run cross races. Mm-hmm. Or it's a little different mm-hmm. on the track sometimes, but um, I think you know, getting a little bit sharper, getting a little more comfortable with some of that shorter stuff will. Uh, you know, be important this year leading yeah. into leading into the uh, the Olympics, and I think uh, it's like we said, it, just doing that in the rain's a little bit harder, and that's why we're heading down to Flag to get a little bit of warmer weather. And what did you? What was your? What was your progression like? 
in high school? Like, what kind of speed? Like, what did you run the eight hundred or the fifteen hundred? Yeah. What, what, what? So, what was little Luke like? Like, you know, when you first got into this sport, what kind of? I, yeah, I feel like <laughs> it's kind of funny how I started. I pissed pissed uh, my grade two teacher off a little bit too much, like too rambunctious. Yeah, so she's you're, like, you you're in second be... grade. But we only had cross country from grade three and up, so she's like, you know what? I don't care. You got to do this. And then I just kind of like fell into it, and I think I won like every race in elementary school I ever ran. And then kind of went kind of went to high school. I didn't want to do it in high school. My mom's like, no, you're good at running. You got to do it. And I was like, no, I want to play basketball and wear baggy clothes and stuff. And she's like, no, split shorts and fast fast running. Your mom, your mom pushed the split shorts on. No, why? <laughs> I think my first pair of split shorts probably came from her, but... <laughs> they are probably literally her shorts. Yeah, they probably were. That's why they always looked kind of like a little bit like a skirt, maybe. No. Anyways, yeah, in high school, I like I ran a little bit of everything. I think I started out in the 400 and 800. Do you remember any sort of times you threw down? I don't even think I broke 60, to be honest. Like, grade 8, I just remember going to regionals and like these guys from like inner city Surrey coming out to the track looking like full-grown man and i'm like this little skinny skinny guy wearing like split shorts in a 400 running 63 and the guy's winning the race in like 52 gosh but um like i started to take it a little more seriously kind of through grade 10 11 and what made that change i went into grade 10 and i finished i think i ran in like in bc they only have like there it only used to be provincials where there was a senior race and a senior men and a senior women like there was no races for the grade eights and nines which they've mm. now added so you yeah. kind of you either went to provincials as a underclassman or you didn't go at all yeah so i think in grade 10 i went and i finished ninth like out of grade 10 11 12 that's grade really nines. good that's kind of like how they do it in the states yeah ontario they have like age divisions for freaking everyone but so yeah. i yeah i just that where I was like okay I'm pretty good and I think after that I still took like two months off played basketball and then I joined a track team that summer or mm -hmm. spring whatever and kind of got into it from there but I ran you know you ran you kind of ran everything cross country 800 1500 3k yeah. I wasn't I think well, that's I, good you yeah. don't want to specialize too soon yeah I think it's what track club was that so the track club I grew up ocean athletics they okay. were like a brand new track club when pretty much when I joined which was funny, like, you're in an area like the White Rock Sussuri area where there's maybe, I don't know, 70,000 people and there's no track club until, I don't know, 2007. But it was good. I mean, I think it, at the end of high school, I'd run 350 in the 1500. By the end of high school? Yeah. That's really good. 151, 9. That's really fast. But then my... Dude, <laughs> I was speedy. I had 151. Speed. So you must have hit puberty somewhere in there and got your, got your, got your legs under you. Because I, like, I remember when I was... I was like a baby, like a baby giraffe. I was so skinny and yeah. no strength, and I couldn't run fast at all. So you get, go 350, 151. Like, did you have offers to go scholarship-wise down to the States? Uh, not. I, like, I, so I'd run 410, I think, for a full mile, and 357 in grade 11. Mm -hmm. But, I don't know, like, my 3K was not that great. Like, in BC, at least, there was no real opportunities to try and run a fast one other than provincials, and yeah. that, then it becomes tactical. Um, I took a tour at the University of Arizona, I talked to um, you know, a fair amount of schools, Yeah, yeah. but I think Merrick, the coach at UBC, kind of 
came in here with like an ultimatum and he's like you need to sign by Christmas <laughs> or no scholarship anymore so I kind of panicked and I didn't really understand the the whole system oh, negotiation sure. it was a good thing for me to to be closer to home just being comfortable and mm-hmm. I think you have these hear these stories about the NCAA like for some people it's a great experience and for some it's just horrible it can be hit or miss and, and I, a lot of it depends on the program you go to yeah, yeah. and I think they're like being close to home you know, I had a lot of friends on the team. Uh, you know, Merrick was a good a good coach. Maybe, uh, you know, I would say the first couple of years I kind of struggled and maybe didn't reach the potential or at least uh, what I had envisioned in my mind. But I think part of that too is like as an athlete, like I was so raw to the sport. I just had no understanding of yeah really what training was like. Like I was able to, you know, kind of get by uh, running certain times, just kind of, you know, just on talent and yeah. some workouts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but back then, like, I couldn't tell you if I ran 40 miles a week or f- 70. Like, it was just kind of whatever. And um, Do you kind yeah. of do you kind of miss that? Like, having that just, like, free roll about it and just being kind of naive to it and the numbers not really meaning anything? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it... I mean, our sport, a lot of us were driven by, like, you know, time and distance and all that. And I think can be good but i also think that you know sometimes you just gotta be able to go with the flow what is what is one race from your university experience that sticks out like one what was the best race you ran whether you're in university because uh, you guys were in the naia yeah which is always so weird you ran against the most random ass schools yeah i think the big thing for us at ubc was uh just because we could do outdoor track and yeah so we had a lot of like athletes on our team that their events weren't in the U Sports or CIS, like race, race walk, uh, all the throwing events, essentially. Yeah, that's so, why that's why I had to go to the stage because yeah. I was a steeplechaser. Yeah, I was like, well, I'm gonna have to go to CIS. There's no steeplechase. But it, yeah, so I guess NAI, like it's this essentially the same rules as the NCAA. It's just smaller schools or schools that are new and haven't like are in the process of applying for Division One or Division Two. Like we had some good schools in there, but a lot of them are like really funny schools, like the a lot of like very christian and <laughs> cultural and whatever schools and two things stand out in nai is like one thing at the nai championships they always did prayer circles after races which i think for us coming just from ubc like a very agnostic i don't know if that's the word for like non-religious school where everybody's like doing whatever they want or not so i think going down to that was a little the first time I I didn't actually get in the prayer circle, but yeah, like that can that the, can be awkward. That can just be it's just like it's it separate this you know s- separation of you know sports and whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can see how that'd be weird as a, if someone who doesn't have a strong faith. Yeah, and I think the second one was so I won the NAI fifteen hundred meter championships in my junior year, and then you didn't do the prayer circle. You heathen. I didn't. You heathen. But so <laughs> it's. Uh, like one of my main kind of rivalries was with a guy named Eric Avila. And yeah, he's yeah. a professional runner with Adidas now. He's like quite, quite uh, a well accomplished runner. I think he's run like three thirty six or three thirty five. And Jesus, I was definitely coming at it from more of the strength end, and he was like the the speed end. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he was trying to sit on you. Uh, it wasn't a fast race. It was kind of funny. Like at five hundred to go, this guy just shot out of a cannon. 
Like, he probably ran the next 100 in, like, 11 seconds. <laughs> which, the old Alan Webb tactic. <laughs> looking back on it, and I'm sure he would agree with me, like... Was that Avila who did that? Yeah. Oh, okay. He wasted himself that 100. Like, he just... So, the race is on. Like, we've been jogging. Mm-hmm. The race is on. He's gone out of a cannon. Like, by 300 meters to go, he's got 15 meters on the rest of the group. 150 to go, you can tell he's just hurting. He's just hurting. Like, it was, like, one of those things, like last hundred meters like i'm just charging down the finishing line and he's like just rigging and i caught him maybe with 10 meters to go to win that win that uh title but then next year he dusted me he absolutely he probably ran like a 51 the last lap and i was like <laughs> struggling home and that was when i think i finally realized did I you was win a the 5k that year no i ran the four by eight it was weird <laughs> like so it was that was a weird coaching decision merrick well, so the NAI is kind of funny in that regard. Like, NCAA championship, same with U-Sport. I think it's like we, you qualify this many guys in the 5K or the yeah. 3K, and it's a straight final. So mm-hmm. NAIs, even though, like, even, they, they made the standards fairly soft to qualify for nationals, and they would, usually what they would do is they would run 5K heats. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to run 1,500, 5K and the four by eight because we always kind of did that at UBC. It was like a kind of like a history sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, like yeah. We always did that. You could end up running six races in two days, and the whole five k heat thing was just ridiculous. Because by the end of it, the NAI's kind of I think they're in the process of maybe falling apart a little bit. Like you'd be running a five k to cut like four guys. Yeah. So we opted, but see this this the year like. This was 2014, and this was probably why I was more incapable of running 339. Was because I was running these four by eights and these 50 yards yeah, all the time. Yeah, there you go, so. right? Yeah, it's a means to an end. Did you guys win the four by eight that year? We finished second, but it, oh man, it's funny. Like we were such a ragtag, like bunch of guys. Like we call, I think we ran 728 or something. Like it was pretty, pretty solid. But we were like, everybody's running a bunch of races, and we were against this. Uh, I think it was Indiana Tech. Like they had some guys running sub one fifty. It was good old like Indiana Tech, and the powerhouse. Justin Kent. It's these these skinny white guys going against these like powerful sprinters, and yeah, we just we just missed it. Was it a close race? Yeah, I think I think. It was Were you going the anchor? I was the lead leg. Okay, that makes sense. So I think I because I think you can make it. So they run just a little bit further on the lead leg. Yeah. Was Jack then, Williams on the team? Jack Williams. He's uh, a speedy bugger. Yeah, we he's got like, good. He's got good genetics. We got yeah. So Jack with the two Olympians as parents, and then we had Justin Ken on the anchor, Lucas Jaron, who's I mean he went out to run under one fifty. So we had like some talent, but these guys were younger and faster. They got gotcha. you. They got us at the end. And good old NAIA two thousand fourteen championships of the world. <laughs> so that was the NAIA experience and I guess I mean yeah like you say it's all a means to an end right it, or it's all a part of the journey and obviously it worked for you uh, sticking sticking local doing the doing your time up at UBC and then, so then you come out of UBC and was the plan always just to keep on running keep on seeing what you can do I think in my what's your degree in kinesiology oh yeah you're smart yeah right. you're try just, it you're sports. Yeah, when, I, when I finish running we'll see but yeah, I think like in my mind, I always had this idea of like going to the Olympics. I mean, I remember in my, like I started university in 2009. I was like, I'm going to go to the 2012 Olympics. Like I'm going to make the team in the 1500. I'm going to break Kevin Sullivan's junior record in the 1500. That's wicked. And I'm like, I was so naive. Like looking back, I had no idea what it took or what you need to be <laughs> capable of to do this sort of stuff. 
And in my mind, yeah, I always wanted to be an Olympian. I wanted to be a professional athlete. I mean, the, from the time I was five, it was, you know, it started with hockey and went to basketball and yeah, I'm sure at some point playing all that bad and I wanted to be in the NFL, but well, that's the thing you see, you see the end results. You don't see the shit behind the scenes. Yeah. You realize how hard that is. Yeah, you just see the glory. Yeah, and I think it wasn't until uh, 2014 when I ran and sub four in the mile, like ran under eight minutes in the 3K. I ran 1333 outdoors. Uh, Where'd you do that? I ran at Peyton Jordan. I won the B section, which was good lord, that's fast. Was like a. I think then I was like, okay. 2014, like I was like thinking, I'm like, okay, now I'm only however many seconds off the previous Olympic standard. I keep thinking, you know, maybe I can go to world next year. That was when I started to uh, realize, you know, it's probably realistic. Like maybe I could do something with it. I mm. think after that year, I think I, w- I think I got development carding, which it's not as much as the senior card, but they view you as somebody that could yep. potentially make the, I think it was 900 a month versus 1500 a month. I think they like the carding at that point was like, okay, we look at you as somebody that will probably make the Olympics in 2000. 20 or 2020 not mm-hmm. 2016 okay. like just how the way it lined up um but i got carded uh which there's federal funding for you people yeah, federal yeah. funding through uh through sport canada and i think then i was like okay maybe i'll be able to you know maybe i'll try this for two years and see what happens i'm sure you know my dad was still in my ear being like all right luke what are you gonna do and i'm sitting there i'm like i'm just gonna run i'm gonna be a kinesiologist <laughs> but yeah that that was when it all kind of kind of took off and I guess things things got more real then. Yeah. And then and, and now we're here. And then you went to the Olympics. And now we're here. Yeah. And you gotta do it again. Yeah. It's actually interesting. So the other with just with it being the end of the year, I uh I emailed Rich. He's my coach. Coach Rich, coach, coach Rich. Richard Lee, we'll get him on the podcast one day. And I asked him, I was just like, Can you like it's the end of the year. I'm just curious, like how many miles did I run this year? Like you're seeing this all on Strava, like, yeah. people running this. Yeah, and, yeah. and he, because uh, I know I, he's he's an engineer. He's one of those numbers guys. Like, I in my mind, I was like, he probably has a document of like all the years he's coached me mm-hmm. with, and of course he does. He sends me this email with from 2014 to now of like total volume every year, like week by week for 52 weeks, like what the average is over the course of a week and. Um, obviously when you have injuries and whatnot that takes a hit but it's just it's really interesting to see how much running you actually do over the course of 12 months and how that relates to like the best years yeah and uh, I still haven't broken the 4,000 mile barrier in a year which I feel like is not actually that much but that's quite a bit for a 5 I feel like that's quite a bit for a 5k runner Cause that's like what? That's sixty four. Is that like sixty four hundred kilometers or something like that? Yeah. That's that's a lot of kilometers. That's over. It's like that's like seventy five miles a week. Yeah, I think average with downtime and injury. Yeah, that's quite a bit of running. Well, it's interesting because Reed Coolsat, Canadian marathoner, like he tweeted the thing the other day, seventy six hundred k. Yeah. Which is, I guess, just short of five thousand miles. Yeah, yeah. So I was that that was kind of where I my interest stemmed, and yeah, I think there was one year there where like New Year's Eve finished. And I was like, 8K short of 4,000 or 8 <laughs> miles or something like that short of 4,000 miles. But I don't, it was like the day of the long run or something where you're yeah. like not going to go out and run another five miles just to say you did it. But it's... Uh... I got just over 6,000 this year. But I, I used to... I had a few 10,000 kilometer years back in my... 
I didn't I didn't start Strava until 2015. I was looking at that year, just looking back, going down memory lane. And I didn't start Strava until June. But between that June and the end of the year, I put in like 5,400K or something like that. But it's, it, it is fun to look back and yeah. go down go down memory lane and look at the stuff you did. I look at the stuff I did and I'm like, I try to use it for inspiration, but it also just intimidates me. Being like, oh, fuck, I can't do this anymore. And then well, I remember, like, so you, you put that photo up of those three weeks you did where you ran over 200. And, it was like 250K a week for three weeks in a row. Yeah. I used to that's, love that. I used to love that. Yeah. I just, I remember looking at your Strava, like, that's like 20 miles a day or more yeah oh yeah it was more than that it was it was would you ever get bored of like running or would like running on the same routes or anything like that would you ever find that it would kind of became boring or mundane? no i was i was so obsessed with trying to make the olympics like i was like i just knew i needed to do it yeah i mean it it can become monotonous but i don't know bored was would be the word for it yeah i would say that's not a good way to put it because i feel like we when you view what we do as yeah. our job or work or anything like it's not necessary like we love it and it's yeah yeah and there's a reason you do it like I, I i remember when i was in the meat of it and training like that i would i would look forward to getting up every day so i could train more i would like today I'd like i want to train as hard as i can today and then i'm gonna go to bed and i'm gonna wake up and do the next thing the, the same thing and i was i was so excited about it because i just wanted to be good and i just wanted to work hard and i really got a, I got i got a thrill out of it and i really liked it and sometimes i think that was maybe i didn't have enough of a governor to pull back um because i think i look at that stuff and i'm like i loved doing it and i and i enjoyed it but maybe maybe i was a bit overtrained some of the times yeah because i look like I, I did that during my build up to the chicago marathon and then I look at my, my whole build up towards Chicago. And the week before the Chicago Marathon, I did 200 kilometers just because I just felt I needed to do that. And that sometimes I was too dependent on volume. Uh, I didn't trust myself enough. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, could, I could do it. And I, loved, and I loved doing, I loved the process of training hard. So, I mean, I don't know if I ever got bored. Maybe sometimes it did feel a little tedious. Um, some days when you're really sore, yeah, yeah, or it's pouring rain just like it is today. Yeah, I would, I'd be down on my training camps and like (laughs) one time I went to a, I went to Virginia for a training camp in between, in between in 2000 it was in 2013 I think it was between Moscow and the Toronto Marathon and I I read a lot about Benji Durden and Benji Durden was an American marathoner who did heat training, um, or so he just it was like you know they say heat's like poor man's altitude right like. It kind of has the same effect on the blood and the way it transports the oxygen and everything like that. And you can get a good bump from heat training. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do some heat training. It's going to be like a little stint in altitude. But like in August in Virginia, it's already like 100 degrees and full on humidity. And then I'm out there wearing tights and a jacket doing my runs. And I remember doing this and I did it for like a week. And I every run sucked so bad. But I was like, I'm doing heat training. I'm doing good. And then one day I went for a run and I just remember I was running and I just had to sit down and I sat down and I'd take off all the clothes and I had to like lie in a field for like an hour because I was like, I was like, I thought I was going to die. And that was the end of my heat training experience. Oh my gosh, that was awful. That's so, funny. Yeah, just doing dumb shit sometimes, a little bit of trial and error. But uh, If you have to look back on your running career, like, is that the most idiotic thing that you've done? At, like training yeah i think that was the dumbest because even like doing it like pete like my coach he's like this 
it's like this doesn't make any sense to me and i was like oh, i just want to throw it and i'm very stubborn yeah uh and i think sometimes my stubbornness i was my own worst enemy because i wouldn't listen to what other people may have told me to do uh, that was dumb my heat training experience was because it wasn't it wasn't controlled it was done just off of i heard this guy did it i'm not going to do any testing i'm not going to like you know because like even when you go to altitude you, you definitely want to test and get your levels and know how you respond to it know if you're a responder to it and I already knew I have a really, really heavy sweat rate. And so if I'm doing two runs a day, sweating ridiculous amounts every single run. So I'm always just on the fence, like always just like, I was riding that line too much. And then I just, and then I almost killed myself heat training in the middle of summer in Virginia. Oh, that was quite dumb. I, yeah, I, I think that was probably the dumbest thing I did. That's uh, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, do as I say, not as I do, type thing. Right? <laughs> Trial and error for sure. Uh, do you have any things that you've tried just on a whim in, in your own kind of like maybe uh, this this sounds like a good idea. I'm gonna do it. Not really. I feel like most of my stuff I try to keep like You're somewhat related, evidence based, or calculated. <laughs> evidence that's evidence based. I wasn't so much. I was more anecdotal based rather than evidence based. Or I just I feel like I'm one of those athletes that totally like gives everything to the coach so if he doesn't tell me to do it then i probably am not going to do it although i did so before i did the steeplechase or this the day i did the steeplechase i forgot my running shoes at our airbnb so i show up to the race just with spikes oh god no shoes and this was like just a combination of being probably just a bit i don't know naive, just a bit ridiculous like i forgot my shoes which i'm i never forget anything so I had to borrow a pair of shoes to warm up for the race in, mm-hmm. and then I didn't want to cool down in them because I didn't really like them, and they like they were shoes that had posting on them, oh, like yeah. support shoes, yeah, and I wear yeah. neutral shoes all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I and then I I don't know did the steeplechase or whatever. So they cooled down barefoot on the turf, which probably well, wasn't the know. smartest thing. So no. just this whole combination, like the one. Looking back on it, it was kind of idiotic. Is that is that steeplechase you ran? Is that the worst race of your career? What, what do you have like you know because we always talk about like best races do you have like a that race was really really bad i'm trying to think like i've had some stinkers for sure i think that race was funny though like i i don't know what i expected mm-hmm. and i think it was because i was so bad at the water pit that it, it like kind of felt like a fart lick like i ran 360 meters fine yeah, yeah. and then i did the water pit really crap and then like spent the next like 30 meters re-accelerating it and after you do that four or five times i was just super fried so it wasn't but i don't look at that race being like that was the most uncomfortable or worst experience i think um in terms of like most pain i've ever been in mm-hmm. i ran the 10k at peyton jordan in 2016 i'd spent like seven weeks in flagstaff i went up thinking i was already in under like 28 minutes yeah so yeah and then I just overdid the training a little bit in Flagstaff and I came down and I remember Dylan actually, Dylan Wikes, the first time I ever ran a 10K was 2015 and he just says, try not to look at the clock or like the lap counter yeah, yeah, yeah. for as long as you can. And I think I made it until like five laps to go or six laps to go, which was, you know, that's the majority of the race. Like I've run yeah, yeah, yeah. 10K before I actually looked at it and I had a pretty positive experience. So I came down from Flagstaff 2016. This is a year later. This is my second 10K on the track. Um, training had been going like all right uh not great but not totally crap yeah, either yeah. and i think 
uh, I guess when you're at altitude, like you're doing intervals on the track, like when you get rest every four or five minutes, like your workouts are still okay. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you take away the rest, it can be, you know, significantly harder. And I just remember like coming in, the Olympic standard was 28 minutes. So it was softer than the previous Olympics and softer than 2020. So it was like 28 minutes is nothing crazy. It's really fast, but at at the same time, like an athlete of your caliber should be able to handle that. Completely realistic. And I just remember like, it was kind of a weird race. Um, like in terms of Payne Jordan years, it was pretty slow. I think only like three or four guys broke 28 minutes. It was Bernard Legault was in there, smashed the Masters World Record, smashed me. He's still smashing He's people. still smashing it. But I just remember getting, like I was a mile into the race and I'm like, what is happening? Like I am like already at the red line. I am, I make it, I think I looked at the clock at 2K and was just like, how the hell am I going to make it through this race? Like I feel like death. Like, <laughs> Everybody from the training camp and flight staff, all the Canadians are there. Everybody's cheering for you. I'm just running this 10K and I'm just like, I've never felt that bad in my life. Like, I think it's one of those experiences that I've had where you're like, okay, this is how bad it can feel. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I didn't drop out. I've never dropped out of a race. Good for you. I've dropped out of way too many races. <laughs> but I just remember like, <laughs> it's feeling so bad that you're, you know, you're starting to slow down. And you just like have this self awareness of how bad it actually feels yeah. and how painful it is, and and there's no end in sight. Even though there is a literal end in sight, you're just in that moment. You just everything sucks. Yeah, it's one. It was that to me was. What did you end up going? I think I still ran twenty eight forty six, which was like it's pretty good. <laughs> it was, it was only like fifteen seconds slower than I ran <laughs> the previous year. But I think the previous year I went like fourteen thirty, and then like. 1405 yeah, or yeah this yeah. year that year i think i went like 140 something and then 1440 like it was just it's and it progressive like if you look at the splits it was like 425 for the mile 428 430 435 440 450 like it just got worse and worse and worse yeah it's it's crazy how yeah you can get the same end result but the experience in getting there can be so different yeah it can be so different like like my my fastest ever half marathon sixty three twenty two. My second fastest half marathon sixty three twenty nine. They're both on the same course in the New York City half marathon, and they were a year apart. But the first year when I ran sixty three twenty nine, we came through the five k in fourteen eighteen. Yeah, fun. And I was and I was like I didn't I didn't realize how fast you were running until I saw the split, and then. And then the, the I spent 16 kilometers redlining so hard, and that was probably the most uncomfortable race I ever had because I was done at like 8k, and I just had to hold on for dear life, and ran 16, uh, 63. I was in pre- I was in pretty good shape that year. That was heading into uh, the Rotterdam Marathon. But then the next year, uh, we came through, we came through the 5k in in 1508. And I felt great, right? And then I ran sixty three twenty two. I felt I fell apart a little bit, but like just those racing experiences are so so different. Whereas the first year was like the most pain I ever felt in my life. Yeah. And the second year was like I just felt so cruisy and controlled and the execution of the race. And I ran seven seconds faster. It's just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the way to get to the finish line is it's very different. You look a lot of times you look at the end result, the end time. There's a whole big story that goes on in between those in between those races. Like my my fastest five k, yeah, it's the same. I did the same thing as you, or I just start out way too fast, and each each kilometer, each mile just got progressively slower and slower and slower. 
Yeah. Did you have you ever? So you 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 say you're not much of a speedy guy. Do you have any? You know, we were talking about before we we started recording that uh, that race in Brazil that happened this weekend, where that guy had that big ass kick. Yeah, but then he jogged it in with like 15 meters to go, and the guy dipped him at the line. Do you have any? So you have like there's bad racing experiences. Do you have you had any races where you just did anything dumb? Yeah, I've done I've done that exactly. You, so <laughs> St. Patrick's Day 5K, which tends to be like one of the more competitive road races in Vancouver. Yeah, it's a great race. And uh, shout out to shout out to Steve. Yeah, they do a good job. It's it's a perfect time of year when there's like not much else yeah. going on. If you're looking for a good 5K, St. Patty's, great race, better party. Yeah, and then the lead car is a Maserati. But, pretty cool. Uh, so this was a year, like, it was a pretty solid year. I think, like, Jeff Martinson, I mean, you were there, Ross Proudfoot. And I was going through, like, a tough little training block. I think I might have been a, a little overtrained. Like, I had, I was just going through a phase where, like, I have a really good workout, then I'd have, like, two where I just couldn't finish. And mm-hmm. just coming into this race, I kind of had no expectations. I didn't do, I didn't want to do a, any work or anything. Just kind of sat in there until the last little hill that comes up to yeah. the finish. And, the okay. last little hill that's a big freaking hill <laughs> the last 800 meters of the race it's just climbing but anyway so i think someone like some guy just started to go i think he's like i think he even says like you guys are wimps like he knew he wasn't supposed to be i think it was kevin friesen okay. like sitting in there with like myself and ross like we'd both run uh under thirteen thirty the year before and he's like this is stupid so he like took off because we'd kind of been jogging and then we get, we like shoot up this hill, like Ross and I are going, I get to the, there's two corner, like 90 mm-hmm. degree corners yeah, kind yeah, of into the yeah. finish and, um, it's really loud, like by the finish, that's where everybody's cheering. And so I, I'm ahead of them by the last corner and then it's like another little short uphill and then corner into the finish. And by then I was ahead of them. I couldn't hear him cause it was so loud from the yeah. crowd and with like, five meters to go I think I looked over my shoulder mm-hmm. and he was like he was still there and he just like he was still sprinting and he like I think we were given the same time but he like out dipped me out leaned me at the line and like that I look back at that and be like like you know that's like the one golden rule in racing is like always run through the line always run yeah, through the finish yeah, line like yeah. we're out there at mile to marathon we're telling even the <laughs> intervals we're telling to run through the line and I remember just like feeling like such an idiot like not doing the one thing that like your coaches have always told you to do or like my parents are there and they're just like come on so oh, that happens more often than, i mean it happens quite often yeah. i mean people you get complacent because i mean you're running and you get dumb you're just dumb sometimes you just it's run your, you you run run your brain doesn't have enough oxygen you, you run yourself you stupid you're run drunk would that be the most embarrassing race experience you've had yeah it's probably up there i've definitely had some pretty brutal uh experiences at provincial track and field championships the last couple of years we've always like gone into like a really hard training block going into like just because the thing with bc athletics is like they're extremely uh they're awesome they fund a lot of their athletes but one of the stipulations is you have to run the mm-hmm. provincial championships and it's always it's kind of at like a tough time of year like it's after nationals or you know you're all you're going to europe or you're peaking for this other thing or it's a time where it's kind of yeah, like last it's year. It's like in can loops and shit. I was, we just went through like a massive block of like speed endurance and that's something I wasn't used to. So I think my body just kind of got fried. Mm-hmm. We figured we'd, you know, be just training through and I just went there and I think I finished like eighth round. I don't even, like I ran so slow and just like came across the line just being like, what the hell? Like my, <laughs> I felt like absolute shite. Like my body was like wrecked. 
I think we had done a workout every two days for like 14 days or something like that and all this like speed mm-hmm. and then going out there being like yeah this is this box block of training has been great I'm gonna rip it and then just like going out there and just like looking like an absolute buffoon <laughs> was, but, was that the 5k also no, it was a fifteen hundred. <laughs> oh, brutal! It yeah, was, so you got. Like, I just got you roasted got no out there, gears, and no, no like nothing. And then I think I went to Belgium like two days later, and I beat everybody else uh, that had run. Like that was like I think Justin, all those guys like had won or finished second, and I beat all those guys in Belgium after I gave myself a little bit of rest. But mm-hmm. it's kind of funny when you think of it, like you're like that. Obviously, taught me something about myself as an athlete. Like I'm one of those guys that. You know, some guys can go right in the races having hit the speed, but for someone that, you know, it takes a little while more to adapt to that yeah. sort of stuff. Like, I need to give myself a little more opportunity to recover. Yeah, and that's it. It's always just trusting the process and, and trusting your body and yeah. doing what's best for you. Because a lot of times we do, we get we get caught up in looking what this person's doing, what this person's doing. It's like, you can use that as, as a benefit, but at the end of the day, you got to do what works for you. So, there you go, figuring it out. Well, that's one thing I think I, like, uh, you know, tell tell my athletes uh, is you kind of have to expose yourself to a few different things before you really lock yeah. it in what works and I think we're at somewhat of a detriment nowadays with like all the social media and all this stuff on Let's Run or whatever where you like you see what this person's doing or that person's doing and you want to kind of just do it yeah but you kind of kind of got to experiment with it and see what works best for yourself because it's going to be different for everybody I agree, and that's and that's what I, I love with working with so many different athletes is you get to see that not just from your own experiences as an athlete, you see it from their development as an athlete. It's like I have athletes, and it's like you know, it's like yeah, if you're doing longer work, you should you know be doing like just everyone responds differently to different stimulus. I have people who are just aerobic beasts, and they can just go and crush long runs at pace, and they get on the track and they get thrashed, and like being like that's okay, that's okay. You know, we'll work on it. We'll get it better. And then other, it's vice versa the other way around. And you can see even within the groups, like people are like, oh, well, I do track workouts with this person. And then on the roads, I can't come close to them. It's like, well, because this person's been running 120K a week for 10 years and you've been running for three months type yeah. thing, right? Yeah. So it's, 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 very, it's very individual in that regard. And that's some that's huge takeaway, right? Is, is, you know, doing, there's basic stuff that has to get taken care of, but, and then the, and then specific fine tuning that can be yeah. very, very individualized to a, to a person and what works for them. Um, so trusting the process. That's so, a good one. Yeah. So that's a, it's a theme of 2020. I think so. I think that's, I think I'm hitting it like 15 years too late. <laughs> I think it was funny. Cause I, I think like rich, that's been his mantra. I feel like for the longest time is like from when I started working with him, just like trust the process and like yeah. kind of looking at it as like a bigger picture. Yeah. Being consistent, obviously it's huge. And I think for a while, like you're young, you're naive, you don't have an understanding of training. You just want to like go out and smash everything and go hard, go hard, go hard. Go but like hard. it's, yeah. it's always the, the end goal. And you know, you have, you learn stuff about yourself as an athlete and you learn that, you know, like for myself, like I, I have this, you know, keeps of strength, but I need a little bit more speed and, at least you have the realization, but, you know, trusting the process that, you know, building that into your training and just working hard, you're going to hopefully get to where you want to be. Sweet, man. Well, I really look forward to following along the process and when you're in flags and everything. So uh, how can how can people follow along with, with other than this podcast, how can people follow along you in your journey? So you can follow along on Strava. Uh, most of my training uh, goes on there. How does is, how is Coach Rich feel about when people share the training? I don't think he... 
cares a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, I think. I think there's one thing to see the training, and there's another thing to like, res- like to actually do it. And I think yeah. you know a lot of these people might see the training on Strava, but you, there's no context. Like you don't know what I, how I felt the day before, what mm-hmm. I did the day before, mm-hmm. or, or you know any of that sort of stuff, or if I got a massage, or saw physio, or did an ice bath. Like I think, I think a lot of times, like majority of what we're doing is, pro- like the workouts at least are probably pretty similar to what a lot of other groups are doing. Yeah. And I think um, every once in a while, maybe we'll do like a really unique session or something he doesn't want to put on there. But I'm also one of those guys, like when we start working out on the track, I have the, like I like the tap Timex wash gives you yeah, the splits yeah. to your hundred. So I usually rock that on the track. So sometimes the training doesn't go on because of that. Um, but yeah, you can follow along on Strava. I think it's through my f- Facebook. So it's Luke B, like B-E-E, because I think we were in university and we, thought our employers could find us on Facebook so we all changed our last names and then that's just been my Strava <laughs> since I had it um, but yeah the tra- like all the training will go on there uh, you can see you know the routes I'm running uh, up at up in the mountains there uh, I'm not super active on Twitter that's more of like my how I get news and yeah, that yeah. sort of stuff but on social media uh, like Instagram specifically I think it's at Luca Bruca. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Putting stuff on my story all the time, photos here and there. Finally got my computer fixed. Oh, congratulations. So, thank you. So for all my athletes out there that haven't had a response recently, I'll be updating your <laughs> training. I'm kidding. I've been doing it on my phone, but... Uh, You've been doing training things on your phone? And and my girlfriend's computer. She's been nice enough to, to let me do that. But Shout out to Allie. I see her running down Smash Banks all the time. Yeah, we'll have to have her on the show as well. But yeah, so nope. Instagram, we'll get the vlog coming back because that was the one of the reasons why I got my computer fixed was because like trying to... YouTube. Try You're a YouTuber. Edit. Yeah. Get the YouTube... Go the vlogs going. Yeah, trying to edit on... What's it called? What did the Max have? iMovie? Like my, yeah, yeah, it yeah. was so mangled. Like yeah. the the audio would play, but the the video wouldn't. That's so very frustrating. Trying to edit a video when all you can see, like you're literally just, <laughs> you're sitting there, like guessing, like where you need to cut and paste and trim things. And I'm like, like I can't do this until my computer's fixed. So. And what's the what's the address for your your vlog? So I've been putting it up on the Instagram, like on IGTV. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think my the YouTube is just Luke Boucher, maybe. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, we'll fine tune these. We'll put them in the. We'll put yeah. them in the show notes. I'm getting copyright ish, or copyright uh, claims against my uh, YouTube because apparently I'm not supposed to use music. But oh, you're getting. <laughs> but apparently, because I only have like 100 followers, until you have like X amount of followers, you can't monetize. So I'm in the good zone. Some people can follow, but if all of you follow, then I'm gonna have to. There's gen- but there's like generic clips you can steal off the internet, like this show we like Spence. Yeah, found a generic ass clip. I think it was because I was probably using it like straight from iTunes. <sighs> Only lessons learned. I need. There's got to be somebody out there that can just like spark notes me a version of how to do things easy on YouTube, like sound effects or. I'm sure there's lots of tutorials. Yes, you're right. There's probably lots on YouTube actually. Yeah, uh, there you go. Well, I'll have the time at training camp to learn. So training camps. What do you? Yeah, training camps great because all you do is run and downtime and learn and learn and better yourself that's right yeah it'll be good do you ever get do you ever get bored in the process of training uh no not really i think i think the last time i was kind of like stressed or a little bit like stir crazy was the this flagstaff trip the Mm -hmm. first week 
I was down there and I'd like yeah. just learned that I wasn't being supported by the like the karting program anymore and not being sponsored so I'm like sh- I'm like sitting there I'm like shit like stressful I'm here I'm in Flagstaff like I'm covering everything by myself I don't have like I have a degree but what if I don't make the Olympics or what if I don't run fast or what am I like what am I gonna do so I, I was going like a little but then you kind of get in the swing of things and things like level out and you realize that like what I'm doing is is pretty unique and pretty cool and if it if it is a little stressful like these I'm pretty sure I'll look back on these times as some of the probably the best and most enjoyable. I promise you will. Having so. done it myself, I promise you will because it's it's a cool thing to do and it's a unique thing to do and it's it's something that you got this ability yeah. and it's and it's really cool to have the guts to go and pursue it. So, yeah, man, we're looking forward to following along. Um, so I guess I guess. I guess it pretty much covers it for episode two. Do you have anything else you do you want to touch upon anything before we get going? I mean, like you were saying, you're not you're not really sponsored right now, so we're always up for some support for you in one way or another. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was, actually, that was something I kind of wanted to ask you about because um, I feel like you're you've been through it. Like you're sponsored by New Balance for a while, and I always uh, it's it's just a, like I was thinking how like athletes runners especially like often kind of associate their self-worth as an athlete with their sponsor Mm -hmm. or are they sponsored yeah 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 and i remember when i lost my sponsorship or even when i was with asics like i wasn't you know you you get like a couple thousand dollars a year like it's something it makes a difference but at the same time like you hear the stories of what the guys your caliber in the u.s are getting and i remember when i lost my sponsorship like you feel kind of shitty for a while like being like yeah. I'm worth more than this or like you're somewhat self-entitled um, but it's one of those things too like I, I don't know if it was like this enlightenment or whatever that y- your self-worth as an athlete does not at all is not at all dictated by who you're sponsored by or if you're sponsored like you can run maybe it's a little more stressful but you can run just as fast you're, it doesn't mean you work any less or no, and the, and that's the thing. I, a lot of it, a lot of it can just be a, an ego thing, right? It can be yeah. hit to your ego, and sometimes people do have like they flex because they're sponsored by this or that or anything else. But at the end of the day, it is just, just about times. Yeah. But I definitely know what you're saying. Like we'd always look and oh, this guy's sponsored by Nike. They therefore they must be, you know. Oftentimes they are pretty great because it's not easy. Yeah. The Nike sponsorship well, nowadays too, they got all their five percent shoes and magic beans and all that sort of stuff. Like. <laughs> The Salazar beans. Yeah, like it. Uh... But you know, yeah, and, and that's the thing, right? The sponsorship exists to help make things easier, right? At the end of the day, as being an athlete, it's it's challenging. It is hard, and like stresses, like financial stresses, do come into play. Um, and it can be challenging when you're doing a session, you're doing a race, for the sole purpose of monetary gains. That can kind of take away, and it can add this extra layer of stress because I've, I've been in races before and it's like i have to come top 10 or i'm not going to make any money right yeah. like in 2013 i ran four marathons that year and i think that had long-term negative repercussions in my career but like i went and ran a marathon in ottawa because i saw like shit it's five thousand dollars for the win i'm gonna do that and i did it and you know it worked out for me on the day but so yeah like sponsorships exist to alleviate stresses to give you the gear um, provide that financial support, but so it can be obviously a huge hit when that don't when that's not there. But like like you were saying, you I feel like your mindset is such like you can it's okay to be upset about it. It's okay to dwell on it for a little bit. Like and you always have to go through a process of 
processing your emotions. And oftentimes the first emotion you're processing is a negative one. And then you go out for a run and you go and do a workout and you're like, okay, well I ran fast today. And that had no, you know, the sponsorship yeah. situation had no effect on that. You're still going to run and you're doing running for the right reasons. You're yeah. doing it to explore your, your physicality. You're doing it to explore, you know, what you have in you to express to the world. And I promise you, I promise you that the skills you develop through chasing the journey, the resiliency and just trusting yourself and the way you see the world it just has the benefits when you when you're done it's it you have a unique perspective that a lot of people don't have but you've taken your own path and been successful at it that it sets you up pretty good for everything else we've got good skills so any businesses that need good skilled guys we're here for you yeah there you go man i mean it's just like an athlete i feel like an athlete is set up with very good like strength of mind right i agree i think that a lot of companies actually look for uh like are very happy to work with athletes like the i mean for us like the spontaneity or like the instability of like where am i going do i need to like in europe like am i going on a plane tomorrow am i flying home am i racing (laughs) in freaking like romania yeah just adaptability being able to roll the situation and another awesome thing is that when you when you do retire from running and start professional like pursuing professional you've been so used to being poor as hell that like any, like any little bit of like damn i'm killing it Make it <laughs> right like you like your your sense of economy like i like yeah it's just it's like you've come from this world it's like oh yeah, i used to i used to exist off thirty thousand dollars a year and now you're making more than that and you're like oh this is great i'm a baller now right so <laughs> it, that's good it set your sets your it sets your baselines pretty low that's so. good so you'll be fine and yeah you just got to focus on tr- running hard training hard and taking care of that stuff because all that little all that other shit is just you know bells and whistles as long oh, as you can yeah. go and run 13 15 you'll be fine yeah exactly it'll work a, out it's a few dollars when you you know you can't come back to it when you're yeah older i guess well that's you the thing kind of live in the prime and you kind of got to go for it when you can and I promise, I promise, like, you're, you're, you're gonna know where you're sleeping at night, you're gonna know where your next meal is coming from, you're never gonna, you're not, you're not gonna get so deep in this running that you end up in the poorhouse, that's not gonna happen. Yeah. Even though your parents want you to get a real job, if it comes down to it, they'll, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> you'll be fine, but I get it, I get it, I, like, I, I hated taking, you know, so it's, it's nice to be able to, you know, earn some, so just go run fast, man. But I think that also kind of, like, lights the fire a little bit or like the motivation like i'm sitting here i'm like you know what like it's gonna have a chip on your shoulder yeah, i'm not sponsored but it doesn't change the athlete i am but at the same time like i, I kind of want to like i'm gonna run fast i kind of want to run fast and maybe they'll maybe then i'll get sponsored but it's like regardless of if that happens or not it's a little it's definitely a little bit of a motivator too and i'm sure that can only help training as well 100 percent. like you know it's, it's great to have a chip on your shoulder right and like it could get like you just have something to prove like yeah like you're saying it likes that fire you know can get you get you at the door in the morning <laughs> i mean everybody it's everybody you got to find that way to get out the door sometimes like we're you know we're, we're talking talking about that and some people just do it for health but you kind of have to learn what uh, what motivates you as well well and every day every day like it's different like there was da- there's days you wake up and you're just running because you love to run yeah there's other days you wake up and you're running because shit I know I have to, I don't feel great, but I know I have to do this. You wake up and you're just like, ah, you know, like 
there can be little stimuluses that change from day to day. Like the ultimate goal is to get to here, but some days it's easy. Some days it's like a lunch pail day, right? You just got to friggin' just put in the work type thing. But yeah, well, I'm, I'm super, super stoked to hear about and follow along as you go to Flagstaff. How long are you in Flag for? Five-ish weeks, I think. That's great. It'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, it'll be... Who are you staying with? Uh, so Charles and I are together the first two weeks, and then we're going over to a house with uh, Trevor Hoffbauer and the like, BC Endurance Project guy. So Evan, Kevin Coffey, and Ben Prisoner. So we, uh, we were there, Charles and I were there the first two weeks by ourselves, and the rest of the guys come up for their marathon block, and we'll Rich book this big, massive house kind of over near uh hell yeah walnut canyon road like one of the major roads yeah, there, so yeah. it's really easy to get out for a run yeah and then we'll have some xboxes going we'll get some uh some crib i don't know we'll probably have Catan going see if we make any enemies of ourselves by the end of the trip but it'll be good fun you should get it get us now be some good vlog material yeah wicked all right man well until next time um thank you obviously um Sign out your sign out phrase. What is it again? Yees! Let's let's do it. <laughs> I can't remember it. It is yees. It's yees. Let's do it. That's it. All right, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Respect your parents. <laughs>